0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Somerset County Tourism. Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: VP of Merchandising at Thrive Market. Jason has been working in the supermarket industry for two decades, including six years at the Fresh Market, two at Earth Fair, and four at Fairway, before his time at Thrive. Jason's experience spans customer service, planograms, sales, marketing, and product development, and in his current role at Thrive, he leads the food vertical and Thrive Market brand product development. Thrive is one of the fastest growing e-commerce grocery markets for natural products. And I'm so thrilled, Jason, to have you here.
2: Thanks, Alison. Thrilled to be here as well.
0: Yay. Um, okay, so I like asking this question just because sometimes I feel that people that are building CPG brands sometimes get a little tunnel vision, myself included. We feel like we are building the best solution to a problem, and we don't always take into consideration some of the things that might be impacting and affecting our partners, whether that's distributors, brokers, retailers, you know, um, ingredients, suppliers, manufacturers, et cetera. So, you know, one of my, I think I'm super excited that you're here because of Thrive, but also just because you've been in this industry for a very long time. So I think just to start off, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the current grocery landscape, dynamics these days, post-COVID, supply chain, you know, kind of everything that's going on in the world. You know, you've seen a lot over your years. Is there anything you can compare this time to? You know, just sort of your general thoughts.
2: I would say um, from a consumer perspective, it's it's just like it was two years ago going into the pandemic. Um, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, while we're kind of back to normal, we're, we're going back into grocery stores. Um, still a lot of members are, are still shopping online because they, they came to us as an alternative to grocery stores and they found that we are a better alternative.
0: Mm-hmm. But from a
2: computer, consumer perspective, there's still a lot of uncertainty whether or not they're going to go to a grocery store, go online, and they're going to find the products that they're looking for. Um, and are those products? What are the prices going to be? Are they going to pay a lot more for it? Um, on the flip side, on the on as a an industry um, an industry professional, it's the same way. Um, what is my day going to bring to me? Uh, what. <laughs> What is, uh, am I going to get? Some sort of note from a supplier saying we can't fill your POs, or mm-hmm. uh, we can't offer you this product anymore because we're having some sort of supply chain issue, or uh, we don't have enough workers in our facilities to actually uh, manage our our production. Um, or am I going to get an email from a supplier saying we have to raise your cost? Uh, which is another really tough uh, tough aspect in in what we do here at Thrive because. As cost raised for us? And do we have to pass a retail increase to our members? Mm-hmm. Is that going to hurt the value and um, the proposition that we're trying to give our members in terms of uh, the accessibility and affordability of the healthy products that we're, we've really tried to build on our platform of uh, just that value um, and, and what we can offer our members? So it's, again, uncertainty on both sides uh, yeah. uh, from the consumer aspect, as well as um, someone that's managing the catalog, managing uh, pricing, managing what we offer our members, and how we go to market.
0: Have you seen this before, like in two thousand and eight, or I don't know where you were in two thousand and one? I think you were a little young, but have <laughs> you have you seen have you Does this remind you of a time, or does this feel sort of unprecedented to
2: you? 2001, I was still in high school, so my parent (laughs) my parents were worrying about what was happening there. All right. Um, 2008, I was actually working um, in the stores at the Fresh Market. It was just Mm -hmm. before I was promoted to become a category manager, and uh, I was just graduating from college. So, um, I would say uh, from a the perspective of working within the stores, you definitely saw the the customers coming in and kind of really noticing pricing changes. I was a deli manager and Mm. I remember coming down from the corporate office, we had so many changes in terms of, we we sold commodities. So we sold uh, a big array of specialty cheeses. We sold rotisserie chickens and things that were very highly commoditized. Um, So there were price changes coming down weekly from the corporate office, just based off of where supply, where demand's going, um, where a price is going within the industry. So definitely heard it from the customer perspective of, Hey, your rotisserie chickens went up 50 cents yeah. again this week. Like what's going on here? And, um, and the only, uh, the only answer we could say is like the economy is not doing mm-hmm. so great or, um, we're, we're passing on increases that we're getting from our suppliers. So, right. um, I would say, yeah, it's, I saw it from a different perspective. Uh, and I was more on the front lines, really talking to customers then.
0: Right. Um, that must've but- been fun.
2: It was a lot yeah. of
0: fun. <laughs> it, was, it was tough. Because Here's you, why your chicken is twice as expensive as it was last week, but you still want a, it, right? <laughs> yeah. And
2: like, if you always want to, you want to be there and have the right answers for them. And right. sometimes you're just kind of deer in the headlights because yeah. you're, you're only going by what your corporate office is sending you. And sometimes yeah. they don't send you all the information. So we try to, we try to arm our member services with as much information as possible, whether it's, products that are out of stock and when they're coming back in stock and why pricing's changing and, and things of that nature. So yeah. me being on the front lines, knowing where a customer is going to ask a question, I try to channel that. I try to
0: channel, uh, that. I, I try to channel yeah. that
2: and mitigate the, like, like them having to come to me and answer questions, like trying to anticipate the questions. That yeah.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. Uncertainty. That is a very good word. And I think it's um, I like the way that you framed it, where, you know, as a person who runs a brand, you know, we have buyers leaving kind of in the middle of things, or we get a call that you know there's no truck or that there's no ingredient. And we are just basically like, what's going to happen today?" Yeah, but it kind of gives me this comfort knowing that you're in it too. A little bit. And I think that, you know, again, everyone just kind of needs to be patient with each other. And, you know, I think this is a really good reminder of that. So thanks for humanizing that. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, my other sort of big overarching question is you've seen a lot of brands, you've been a part of their success across different, you know, retailers, very different channels. you know, are there a couple of just, you know, I always think of a, of a brand or a business is almost like a house and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a foundation and foundation to foundation doesn't change all that much depending on, you know, what really changes is like what color you want the curtains and, yeah. you know, what do you want a couch? Um, so some of those fundamentals, some of the things that are foundations that you've seen brands and businesses that have succeeded, you know, build, um, what do you think some of those basics were?
2: Yeah, I would say, uh, first and foremost, like know, know what direction you want your brand to go in. So whether you want to be a mainstream brand that is filling the basics for a consumer, or do you want to be a disruptor? So it's okay if you want to be a mainstream brand, but you're still going to need to differentiate. You're still going to need to somehow excel your business going forward. Um, so how do you be a mainstream brand and how do you fill an everyday void in a consumer's need? But taking it a step further, is it being um, a mac and cheese company that's offering innovative flavors? Like everyone's got a mac and cheese. It's in private label. It's, right. it's in every uh, a ton, ton of huge CPG brands, but are you going to offer innovative flavors? Are you going to take it into a different dietary role? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, if you if you want to be a disruptor in the category, like have a plan for future growth. Um, the The food space changes uh, every day. Um, there are new trends. There's new diets. There's a new focus for consumers on on what they're looking for. We saw during the pandemic that. Um, there was a shift to a lot more people that were cooking at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, cooking sauces and ways to add international flavors to your menu and, and do you do know that that's what we make? Exactly. <laughs> oh, did um, you know?
0: Yeah, you probably knew that. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, All right. Cool. But, uh, cool. but, <laughs> but um, uh, but that was during the pandemic, right. and uh, people were cooking more at home. Like right. now that we're shifting back to normal like we're seeing some of those categories that are waning off a little bit mm-hmm. and we're seeing the shift back towards prepared foods and things that are quick and easy because people are back to their busy lives. Yep. Um, so just knowing you're like being able to shift with the trends yeah. um, and and move your brand where consumers are looking for, whether it be more cooking at home or uh, convenience and getting meal, a meal on the table fast. Uh, so yeah. really, really being a disruptor. But, um, also looking to the future.
0: And this is a little bit like the flip side of the same coin, but have you seen some really good, strong potential brands, businesses that have just not been able to make it? And have you been able to kind of do any postmortems there? You know, like what, what got in the way, like, if you would have bet, you would have bet they would have been great, but something, mm-hmm. they missed something or they they didn't do something or something just went wrong. Like, is there anything you've sort of seen over the years that we can try to avoid?
2: Yeah, I can say I've seen it in both ways where a brand um, hasn't been willing to step outside of their comfort zone and it's just wanted to be uh, a solid player in um, in the category that they that they sit in. Um, but then you see all these other disruptors and they may be smaller brands and they come over and take over a lot of market share from a bigger mm-hmm. brand. Um, so having that willingness of not wanting to change or not wanting to follow trends um, and thinking that just because they're a staple item in the home that they're going to continue um, right. to dominate. And then on the other side, I've seen brands that have been uh, way over competent in their innovation
1: um, and mm-hmm. then when
2: they and when they go to uh, they go to launch new products or new trends or whatever it may be, um, they don't have the operational um, just uh, back support for it. Um, they falter in manufacturing. They falter in marketing. Um, they falter in supply chain. They can't get ingredients, or um, yeah. they don't have the people to to necessarily uh, make the products for them. So. And they fail on that side because they can't fulfill now the big promises that they've made with bringing that innovation to to consumers.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. It's why I always kind of, I like toggle between using brand and business because Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially with a lot of the last couple of years, it's been easier to build brands, um, but harder to build businesses. Yeah, And, you know, when you see it like really be kind of that sweet spot where you've got a really good back end, you've got some sort of operational advantage or you know moat around supply chain or whatever it is with this like momentum of brand awareness um that seems to be like when you get the sweet spot that makes a lot of sense Um, Okay, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk specifically about Thrive Market because it's a groovy one. Yeah, we'll be right back.
1: I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery one of the most beautiful stops along the Sip and See Craft Beverage Trail.
3: To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this. So it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience, whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going in here on the old barns, or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there. It's complementary to each other. You can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other.
1: Before the event, I was able to tour the area and see the historic Bridge Tenders house along the serene DNR Canal, walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn turned brewery for a lively discussion.
3: It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else of being a community-centric location. It is what makes us, a brewery in this state, different from a bar and a restaurant. Um, you know, they, we're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community hub.
1: You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism, for supporting this episode. Learn more about the SIP&C Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-N-J.org.
0: I'm back with Jason Bidart, VP of Food at Thrive Market. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about Thrive because... Uh, you know, I, part of my fun here is I get to do all this research and, you know, I'm sure, you know, we are a refrigerated brand, so we are not on Thrive, nor can we be at the moment. Um, So I didn't really know much about the retailer other than y'all didn't do fresh. So, (laughs) but um, now I understand, you know, there's a real mandate there and it's, you know, a membership uh, there are over a million members. It's affordable, healthy. Um, I know that you have, a, you know, a program to sort of open the membership up to perhaps, you know, lower income or underserved communities. Tell me a little bit more about, I mean, you, you had a long and thriving career and they, they wanted you to come there. So I know you wanted to go there for a reason. So yeah. tell me the reasons. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I, um, I was fortunate enough to get a recruiting call from Thrive uh, while still at Fairway. And Thrive Market had been on my radar as a retailer. Um, I, I would say it was fake because I was in, at a grocery shop in 2018 with about 4,000 other people. Mm-hmm. And in one of the general sessions, um, there was uh, just a spot where Thrive Market was giving out 10 bottles of clean organic wine. And you got one of these bottles if you had a card underneath your seat. Now, mind (laughs) you, there are 4,000 seats in this. this, And I I had the privilege of seeing Nick speak and Jeremiah speak, Mm. who's now our our chief merchandising officer. And uh, I looked under my seat, and I had a card. I was one of 10 people in the out of four thousand people that had a card for a free bottle of Thrive Market organic, and they
0: wine. didn't know that you were going to be sitting in that seat, and that wasn't no.
2: all ruse?
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. And so okay. This was, uh, this okay. was two, year,
2: two years before I got the call from Thrive Market. Okay. <laughs> and um, they they uh, uh, they connected with me and said they're looking for at that time a senior director of merchandising for food, um, someone that can head up the the branded efforts as well as the private label efforts and. Um, I got to interview, of course, with Nick, the CEO, with Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. the CMO, but they also put me in interviews with the team that I was going to be running Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So all the category managers, the product innovators, um, as well as some other folks on the opposite side of the business on our home health and beauty side. Um, And just sitting with them for a few hours and talking to them about just their perspective from Thrive Market and what they were looking for in kind of their their next leader to come in i just i saw so much passion um not just for food because that's like my passion for food goes beyond my job every day Mm -hmm. i i'm a i'm a foodie at heart i i am a food tourist so i plan all my travels around food
0: yeah i call us like the purple people there we're like this group of people that, you know, because I have friends who plan their, you know, oh, this would be a very interesting, you know, natural phenomenon or like, yeah. ooh, this architecture. And I'm like, no, but like where are we gonna eat? W- what are we eating? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it's not for everyone. Like we are we are an unusual group, but yeah. when we find each other, you know it's really fun hanging out. Yeah. Exactly. Well,
2: the team of 12 that I run, like Mm -hmm. all, all 12 of us are are that way. Um, And I just uh, like, I just saw the passion. I was like, I have to work for this company because I really want to work with this team. So I, um, I was fortunate enough to get a job offer. And um, while I, I loved working at fairway, it Mm -hmm. it gave me a ton of uh, experience Working in grocery retail in New York City is a whole nother yeah. level, and and you learn things that only apply to New York City, but you also can apply that later on down the road to um, to your next venture. But um, I uh, I made the tough decision and, and left Fairway and and came to work for Thrive Market during the pandemic, mm. um, which was also. Uh, kind of crazy a crazy time, time, I would imagine. <laughs> it
0: was, yeah, it was
2: crazy. So I started in May of 2020, which was oh, wow. the, the really getting going in the height of um, just our membership growth, which was just phenomenal and through the yeah. roof. Um, and uh, I, I've been doing this now two and a half years, continuing to build the team. And uh, I, I I can't imagine working for uh, any other retailer right now, just because yeah. the passion that comes with the everyday job um, from where I stand and then also the people I work with. Um, and then just the company itself is just, uh, the the mission's amazing, um, the ethics are amazing, and uh, I, I couldn't ask for a better team of people.
0: Amazing. One of the things that I heard you talk about on another interview was that, you know, I for, and correct me if I'm wrong, so just tell, say like, no, that's totally wrong. But like from my understanding, Thrive at the beginning was a more sort of, um, let's say diet focused in the sense that like you were, you were filtering by, I want gluten-free foods or, you know, I want only organic or I want keto friendly. And one of the things I think I heard you say was that in COVID, when, when people started coming to you for their whole basket, essentially, um, you added everyday items that weren't necessarily, you know, they might be gluten free, but they were more just sort of everyday, Mm -hmm. less, less sort of diet focused, but also that you started adding sort of more specialty things that maybe, again, they might fit into a filter, but they didn't lead with that Mm -hmm. categorization. Is that a fair way to say
2: it? Yes. So I would say our membership base really grew. Um, and it yeah. was a lot of members that were looking to come in and find an alternative to going to a grocery right, store. Right. Do so their whole grocery basket. Yeah. They shop. weren't coming to us because we had the the biggest assortment of gluten free products. Mm-hmm. And I think what what happened was they started shopping our platform. They saw that we had an awesome way of filtering products and really honed it into what they were looking for. Right, um, as well as a, a good assortment of everyday staples, but unique items that they couldn't find anywhere else. Unique mm-hmm. items that that fit within their their lifestyle, um, and so they they stuck with us. And yeah. I think a lot of those members that weren't diet focused may have become more diet focused without um, without really saying I'm a keto shopper or I'm a gluten free mm-hmm. shopper. I think they found that hey, this gluten free version of this pasta is delicious. Yeah, um, and it makes me feel healthier when I, when I eat it, it makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, so they, they then became a diet shopper. Right. Uh, so I would say, uh, we were very fortunate to, to number one, have an awesome, strong membership base that was utilizing our platform for their dietary needs. And then we've also been able to bring on some new shoppers that, um, have, uh, have found us in other ways that. Became dietary shoppers and have now started their own health journey.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I know that you did add frozen. Was it this year?
2: Uh, It was last year. uh, year. June of last year is when we launched our expanded frozen assortment.
0: Right. Because you had always had sort of like the basics, but then you started Mm -hmm. doing sort of branded.
2: Yeah. So Thanks, we had yeah. uh meat and seafood mm-hmm. um, and then we had some prepared meals from Primal Kitchen. And then just before we launched the larger assortment of frozen, we had launched our uh, plant-based meals that we did in collaboration with Beyond Meat. Uh, right. It was a couple months before. So we had a, we had a frozen presence, but we really expanded uh, in June of last year.
0: And, you know, um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, about your experience was, you know, from my understanding, you redid the private label at Fairway. You were a part of the rebrand at Fairway. Um, you know, but this private label discussion with brands is a little dicey. Um, I think most of us running brands understand that there is a volume joy to be found in white labeling the Mm -hmm. product for retailers and that in a lot of ways, it's a nice way to build a relationship with a retailer. I think the flip side is that, you know, at the end of the day, most of us are trying to figure out how to build a brand, um, that will eventually exit is, I mean, I think the goal for many, Mm -hmm. Um, and that volume is nice, but branded volume is a priority. Um, And one of the things that I've heard you talk about at Thrive is that you are doing collaborations with brands like you just mentioned. So, you know, you're going to do the frozen meals that are different with Beyond instead of maybe animal meat, but you're giving Beyond a tagline, um, which is great. And I, I think also not just like generous to the brands, but... Also tapping into the brand equity that those brands have built themselves, which is always one of the big questions I have for a private label, which is we're spending a lot of our budgets on building awareness for our thing. Don't you want some of that, you know, so that we can send people to you or they can see our name and be like, oh, we like them. So I'd like to just hear your whole sort of thought process around it and, um, you know, was that influenced by the work that you did at Fairway, or was that something that was in process before? And just you know, it's a little different from mm-hmm. from the way that other retailers do it.
2: Yeah, I would say historically, private label has always been a way to offer members a or offer a consumer just a, a cheaper version of uh, of a branded product. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it as a different way because. Um, when you are working in private label, you're representing your brand. You're representing you as a retailer and what you right. stand for. So Thrive Market, we, we don't just take private label items and try to knock off the, right. uh, the closest competitor. We, we really want to use our brand to innovate and offer our members a differentiated experience, whether that be just with within our brand um, that we're working with our co-manufacturers to innovate, to up-level ingredients, to up-level sourcing. Um, to really make something differentiated within the space or with other brands in these collaborations. So if you notice with Beyond Meat, uh, they don't have plant-based meals. They have just the the, mm-hmm. the, meat, the plant-based meat components. So we wanted to do something differentiated without stepping on their toes, mm-hmm. uh, which is where we came out with these uh, this line of five meals that are very much focused towards I would say the comfort food and the comfort classics that, uh, mm-hmm. that people have come to love, but we we put our plant-based spin on it. And then we're utilizing beyond meat, which is a leader in the plant-based space. Right. We did the same thing. We have a, a line of shelf staple chili that does extremely well for us that our members love made with beyond meat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's how we approach these brands with the collaborations. We don't want to step on their toes on what they're doing, but we just want to take what they're doing and be innovative and enhance it, and give our members another way to buy their product that right. they that they haven't yet been able to, to give their consumers.
0: And with a million plus members and probably growing, that really, the math adds up. I think part of the challenge sometimes is like, I'll give us for an example because we're not on there. You know, the MOQ for a SKU, that we don't know how many are going to sell. Yeah, you know it's hard to prioritize that with the you know co man or whatever it is the R and D that goes into it, etc. That's why a lot of brands end up doing you know exclusives on things that they are eventually going to take to the rest of the world. It's yeah. hard to find retailers that have enough volume. You know, I guess maybe yeah. it's easier
2: for shelf stable. Easier you know, for shelf stable. Yeah. Easier for frozen. Uh, But I think with us, like, I mean, we are a million plus paid members, plus Mm -hmm. our our Gives members. So, uh, and we keep a very curated catalog. Mm -hmm. Uh, We only have about, have about 5,500 items. So you can imagine volumes concentrated on a lot less products where a typical retailer may have 50 to 50,000 products. At, uh, at Fairway, we had over 80,000 products. So your volume is spread out across a lot of products within each of the categories. So we're. We're pretty concentrated um, with the volume itself, so we can, we can offer our, our uh, supply partners good volumes um, right. while still also us taking a risk in some respect because we are putting out innovative products um, that yeah. haven't been tested within the market. So there's a, risk, there's a risk factor there, but I think we've tapped in uh, really closely to what our members are looking for, uh, which uh, allows us to have a little bit more give when it comes to that risk.
0: Well, I think also it goes back to what you said up at the top of the hour, which is you, you are building a brand that has to be willing to step outside of the comfort zone. Like that is what you are building, yeah. um, which, you know, feels very coherent, um, you, you know, to, to thrive essentially. Yeah. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about that 5,500 products, um, how often are you reviewing and how are you evaluating? Do you have, is it, you know, just pure sales? Is it, we need to make sure to, you know, how do you even build up a a decision tree for, for reviewing and have you had to just significantly increase, you know, warehouse space? I would imagine you had to build out some frozen for you know the branded products, it's like how have you even approached that? And I mean, any any insight you can give me there?
2: Yeah, I would say um, the the interest in brands becoming um, being put on the Thrive Market platform has I would say exponentially increased over the last yeah. several years. Just just because mm-hmm. of our success and how much we've been in the media. Um, and, uh, it is, uh, I would say it's a coveted spot to be, um, Mm -hmm. as a brand, uh, which is, it's very flattering for us, but it also makes our category managers, their job a lot harder because, uh, with so many brands coming in and amazing brands, we have to really scrutinize them, um, just to, to make sure we're honing in on a very curated and concise assortment that our, our members are looking for. So right. recently we put together a category review calendar where we're reviewing our categories twice a year and making sure we're reviewing them at relevant times so that we don't have brands trying to pitch us uh, soups and broths and things like that going into the summertime to launch. Right. Um, so it's more or less for our category managers to stay organized and review products at the right time of year so that we're introducing them at the right time of year. Not necessarily yeah. to say like we we won't look at products outside of that calendar if there's some really unique and innovative opportunities for us to either get exclusives or to be first mm-hmm. to launch whatever it may be like we'll still look at those things outside of this calendar but this just makes sure that our our category managers are honed in on the right categories and the right products at the right time and we're just doing our members justice and in, in, in introducing these products and doing the brand justice as well introducing yep. these products on our site at the right time we're uh, six months down the road, we, we're not going to say, well, we introduced this at the wrong time, which is why you haven't been successful, which is why we have to discontinue. Um, right. we want to make sure that we're working really closely with the brands and, um, we're giving them as much opportunity for success as we want to.
0: And I mean, even, you know, there are so many great products out there. I always think like, you know, if I had 10 feet, uh, you know, you want to keep, I mean, this is just like how I would think about it. You want to keep things that are really working, working, Mm -hmm. but you also want to bring in innovation and new stuff and give things a chance to blossom. But when you are restricted to, and even though, you know, you don't have necessarily a shelf, you do have warehouse space. So it's, you know, it does translate. Is it, is it just is there like an 80, 20 rule or like, do you know, like new stuff we got to give at least, we have to have some innovation so that things stay fresh and yeah. people get new things. But you know, these, there are some things that just have to be mm-hmm. kind of, you know, perpetual every day because people are going to be looking for them and very disappointed. I can't tell you how many things in my life have been discontinued that I would buy forever and ever and ever. And I've written, I've written a few emails, like, (laughs) why would you take away that, you know, lip gloss color? It was so perfect, you know? So how do you, you, I mean, there must be a strategy or, I mean,
2: yeah. I'll just say at the, at the beginning of the pandemic where we saw our volume just exponentially growing, I mean, you you can't that quickly increase your warehouse space. So in order to have the holding power for inventory, like we had to really call down our assortment. Um, at that time. So that's where we kind of nailed down that, that sweet spot of about 5,500 items because that, that was what was going to be the most efficient within our fulfillment centers. Right. Um, And so with the category managers, they've, uh, I would say within each of the categories, the number of products kind of uh, it transitions, but where snacks is really overperforming right now, like let's Mm -hmm. give a little bit more space to snacks and let's pull back on Pantry staples, whatever it may be, like right. we the, we have to balance that within the catalog. Yeah. Um, so I, again, when a, a brand comes to us and pitches, and they 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 make it onto our site, um, we try to give at least six months to the brand to to really prove out that our members are going to respond well to it. So um, yeah. we collaborate with our our marketing team where they put together a whole marketing plan for the brand. Um, they give suggestions of. What, uh, what sales should the, the marketing or should the brand be participating in within the marketing plan? Uh, when should they uh, uh, put key TPRs in? Um, temporary price reductions, just uh, yeah. uh, deals to our, our members. Um, what emails should they support? Um, yep. How should they uh, support on-site activities, things of that nature? Um, so that we're giving all the brands a fair shot. Yeah, um, And then we, we look at sales. Um, yep. we look at not just pure sales on how the, the product is selling, but also how it benchmarks against the category. Right. So if no, that product makes a lot product is turning $10,000 a week in sales, but this product itself is only doing 5,000, it's performing way below the category average. Right. Um, so before we discontinue, there's a conversation with the brand. and We say, do you want to put some more marketing activities in it? Do we feel, feel like mm-hmm. the value proposition is there where we're priced right? For what our members are looking for on our our website compared to Amazon or any other competitors, like are we priced right? Um, and so we give them an, another chance, and then right. it, if that doesn't work out, that's where uh, the space is then made to bring in another brand yeah. or expand on a brand that's doing extremely well that's coming out yep. with new innovation.
0: Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's so helpful. I find this so helpful. So. I, I'm assuming all my fellow listeners will <laughs> also. Um, and you know, one of one of the, I think that segues to a question because you know there was a minute there where like there were like eight fifteen-minute fast delivery things mm-hmm. in New York, and I, you know, not to say everyone was banging down our door, but you know we basically humbly declined all of them, um, partly because I don't see fresh sauce as like what you're going to order at 1am, you know, after a night out, but, but more because, you know, we just get lost, um, you know, being a category buster, something that isn't quite a salad dressing, but isn't quite a marinara sauce. Like, you know, we have that challenge across everything. That's kind of our asset and our liability a little bit. Um, but with e-com, you know, if you're just, if you, if you go to sauces, you know, if you're not on that above the fold kind of top eight, you know, I don't know how much people are scrolling and scrolling and scrolling Mm -hmm. to get to you. And um, that's my main kind of concern that e-com tends to be. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when you go to a grocery store, you see these new things, you're doing a lot of discovery you're like, "Oh, what is that?" and you might pick it up and flip it around and you might not buy it at that time, but then all of a sudden you see it and, you know, the press or you see it on a TikTok and then you're like, "Oh, you know, with e-com, I feel like and again, I don't know consumer behavior exactly, but it seems like people are like going in to get this thing. And yeah. and if you aren't the thing they're going in to get, you have a bit of an uphill battle. So I guess one of my questions is like A, do you see that being, you know, in sort of brick and mortar for as many years as you are and now in the e-com space and how do you solve for it if so? And what are some of the things that brands can do? And you gave me some, but are there other things, you know, that you've kind of realized are very helpful when brands are launching on the site? When they aren't necessarily something yeah. that's at the top top of the of the page, yeah.
2: So I'll say there's a couple of ways that uh, our members discover new products. So first, mm-hmm. we have a new page, and it's actually I think our one of our top, if second top visited pages I think uh, on our page or on our website, uh, which is new items, um, and that actually aggregates everything that we've launched within the last 30 days and the newest Mm. things, the newest things being at the top. Um, so they can, they can scroll through and members scroll through, not just looking at the top eight items but they scroll through to see what's new. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's when you're at a, in a grocery store, you may see new tags here and there. Um, so it's a little bit harder to pin out to poke out those new, new items. Like here, like all of our new items in one spot.
0: Yeah, and Um, that's cool that it's the second most popular. Is the homepage
2: number one? Uh, Actually, it's the food page. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So it's like it's people clicking on that food page, but people clicking on that new page as well. Right. Um, And then also uh, a lot of our website is personalized. So when you become a member, you take what we call a guided shopping quiz. And after you've taken that quiz, then the website will then build what we call the My Aisles and mm, that's uh, so it, cool yeah it actually will recommend like uh, you get product carousels if you say i'm a avid organic shopper like mm-hmm. every every my aisle whether it's on the food aisle or on the hhb aisle whatever it may be the home health and beauty aisle like it's going to show you a carousel for here's the organic options here are the uh the gluten-free options here are the keto diet options and right. so we have um what we call a recommended for you so right. every time a, a member clicks on a product display page, um, there's also a carousel that pops up that will say recommended for you right um, awesome. And it's products that are like like what you're shopping but they may be more diet focused they're keto focused or they're gluten free focused whatever it may be um, so we have product recommenders based on that guided shopping We also have the, the members also bought carousels so it, it puts the uh, the items at, if a member bought this item, they, they've bought, they put this in their box as well. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of pairing up the complimentary items of how members have shopped the site as well.
0: No, that's very, very cool. That's so it's, it's such an, it's such a good story of how to take an experience that can be sort of overwhelming Mm -hmm. and clunky and really curate it. I mean, it's where, you know, I'm always like food isn't tech and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm very, you know, of the earth. But the reality is, is that there are some things that tech can enable Mm -hmm. um, and make cleaner and more elegant. And this shopping experience is certainly one of them, which is very cool. I would Um, say uh, as a
2: consumer, it's great as a merchandiser, like there are some aspects where I'd I'd like to have a little bit more control, but this mm-hmm. this is this is working for us. Um, so <laughs> I think the next iteration is just working with our tech team on on getting that additional uh, that human touch to yeah. cross merchandising items or yeah. us as product experts really right. honing in on like, we know the members are going to want this, but it's probably not going to show up on the recommender.
0: Well, I don't know if you remember like when Pandora. First came out like the whole thing about Pandora was like I'm a Pandora person. I know everyone in the world other than me is a Spotify person. But, but well, okay, so because there were like eight people sitting in a room, being like, "Oh, wait, if she likes Duran Duran, she probably likes Adam Ant," right? Yeah. Like it's there were humans. At least this is the folklore around Pandora. I actually have no idea if this is true, but I feel like Pandora knows me. In a way where Spotify doesn't know me. Spotify feels like it's AI. Pandora feels like there's like, (laughs) there's like some like 40 something, maybe a couple 50 something year olds like in a room being like, oh yeah, like she likes, (laughs) she likes Cat Stevens. Like, you know, and it's funny because like I hear what you're saying. I think that what you're saying is like, yes, the tech, the tech makes it very elegant, Mm -hmm. but every once in a while, you'd like to be like, no, but she would also, she'd also like Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Like, yeah, we think that actually it's a weird one. It might not be exactly what the algorithm mm-hmm. would predict, but mm, this would probably be good in her cart.
2: Yeah. And I used yeah. to have fun when I worked, uh, when I worked for brick and mortar, because every month the category managers would, would put together the planograms and the store layout and they would build the end cap. So it was always fun. Like, I think this pasta should go with this pasta sauce mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. cross merchandise the shelf stable parmesan cheese with it like mm-hmm. it was always fun putting that stuff together it was a puzzle but it was also fun thinking that you're guiding how the yeah. the shopper is going to to get this to look at this end cap and my goal is to get one of everything in their basket.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's I mean we talk about it a lot cuz we're basically constantly asking you know, we tend to be in sort of the, we don't know where to put you set, Um, you know, especially at, you know, the more conventional retailers or yeah. the, you know, so, but we always say like, can we just, can we put, can we put like an acrylic shelf or a clip strip near meat?
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: trust me, we'll yeah. sell more meat. You know, if you put the chimichurri next to the flank steak, Yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the stores themselves are ch- challenged, yeah. um, from my, I'm, I mean, a labor perspective for sure, but also just like, you know, it gets pretty siloed in terms of who, who gets the margin essentially. Um, but that's why we're kind of like boots on the ground always, because we know that we're, we're this little, you know, weird basket builder. And if you're buying, you know, our ginger miso sauce, you're probably buying something to put it on Yeah. unless you're drinking it, which, <laughs> you know, maybe some people do. Okay. couple of questions, just like super brass tacks. You know, a lot of brands are probably listening. They're going to be pitching. They're going to be putting together a deck. They're going to be talking to, I would imagine one of the people on your team. What are some things that You are specifically looking for to see from brands, whether it's a story or you know product differentiation or even just like any data if they have it. Like, what are some green flags for you?
2: Um, I will say you're going to laugh at this, but one of the first things is uh, know your audience. I and Make sure you have the right retailer in your pitch deck. I've received a pitch deck, I don't know how many times, that has a Whole Foods logo or a Walmart logo or a Publix logo on it, and uh, they just never updated their materials. Which, to me, also makes me know and think that if you haven't even updated the logo, then you haven't updated the target audience within Mm -hmm. your deck. You haven't looked at our assortment. You haven't looked at how your your product is going to change our consumers' habits. Um, so, number one, know your audience. Make sure you've got the the right company info <laughs> on your materials.
0: Oh wow! Um, yeah, but then, like I said, yeah. uh,
2: also uh, have that research done where you've gone through our website and you've looked at the category that mm-hmm. your product sits in, and and then look at the how your product differentiates. Is it the only keto option within the category? Is it the only plant based or the only vegan option? Like, how is it going to differentiate your product through every, the sea of all the other products that are there? Mm-hmm. Um, does it, does it uh, answer another sort of question, whether it's convenience or um, just something that, the, that you've seen within the trends that consumers are really looking for in that category that hasn't yep. been filled yet? Um, and then uh, have, have data to back it up. So um, if you're in other retailers, do you have SPINS data? Do you have IRI data? Do you have Nielsen data? Really, really show how you're performing within the categories. And that could
0: include velocity data, I would imagine, from the largest Mm -hmm. national natural retailer. Yeah. No one is allowed to say the name (laughs) on a deck, even though everyone knows what it is. But they're the only ones that really you get actual POS data from, as a small brand at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay.
2: And I would say, if you don't have that because you are a small brand, you're mm-hmm. a new brand that's still okay with us. We actually, uh, in some respects would prefer to see that a lot of times. Um, but but also, if you don't have that data, like also show the in- internal data of, of what you're gonna do for our assortment. Right. Um so we we like seeing brands that aren't in any of the major retailers because that allows us to either be first to market or, um, really help that brand grow on their journey, um, just in their development, um, and that that helps us strengthen partnerships too with some of these small brands, um, which then goes back later on down the road is, uh, is their willingness to collaborate with us, whether it mm-hmm. be exclusives from their part, or they want to do a co branded, or they just want to do private label for us, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, they they want to leave their brand out of it, but they want to do something really innovative and and use the resources that they have, whether it be on. Um, sustainable ingredients or um, sustainable packaging, whatever ethical sourcing of products, um, they want to to get that out there in a, a, a larger way, and they know that their brand can only do so much. So let's let's partner on the private label side, and we can really make some big change that way.
0: Is there something around? You know, I feel like a lot of my friends that run digitally native brands have had a lot of questions about shelf ready packaging. And some things that look good on shelf don't always translate to like a PDP. For mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to be both. Yeah. In a way, right? Like you have to look good on the website page, but you also have to be able to be thrown in a box and shipped.
2: Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, have you seen? Have have? I mean, has that been a? Um, has that been a problem for anyone?
2: I would say uh, has it hasn't been a huge problem. Cause I think there are a lot more brands that are making sure their products are in, in uh, e-commerce retail ready packaging. Mm-hmm. I will say like we've, we've had our challenges where a brand comes to us and their packaging looks amazing. Uh, but when we put it in a box and, uh, and uh, it gets shipped to, to the member and boxes get turned all mm-hmm. which way um, and the product just doesn't arrive in, in good condition. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
2: We, we had, we've had some Real big challenges within the frozen space, um, yeah. and we we bring it up to the brand, and uh, the brand will then say, "Well, we don't have any uh, we don't have any plans to change packaging, or yes, we've heard this before, and we are making changes. Like expect to see these changes in the near yeah. future.
0: Our um, we're making our pouches freezeable." for, you know, potentially customers, but also just because people like to buy them and freeze them. And we, we've heard that (laughs) if you like literally touch the chimichurri, like with your finger, basically the pouch when it's deeply frozen cracks, micro crack, but you end up getting, you know, olive oil all over everything, which is not a good experience for anyone. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, remember the Samsonite commercial where they like drop the luggage from, yeah. we're literally like throwing frozen <laughs> pouches across yeah. the room and like seeing if things are like leaking and it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's um, funny. Which, we, we just know, did yeah. all
2: those, that type of tests too, within our mm-hmm. fulfillment centers to, to try to mitigate using a bunch of additional extra packaging right. that protects products. So, um, we were, sh- we were just did a, a, a big Presentation to our brand partners, our quarterly brand summit last week, and showed pictures of like literally our FC team members dropping <laughs> products, Like <Right. laughs> from, so, And then everyone's like, "This looks like the old school the the egg drop uh, right, assignment exactly. that
0: we um, in, in middle school, exactly." Yeah,
2: exactly. Um,
0: and then one thing I I did hear you say earlier on, and I think you know I've heard this a lot from you know retailer friends is like just make sure that you can actually fulfill. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, you know, do you, are you, do you tend to work directly with brands in terms of shipping or do you prefer going with, you know, a UNFI or a Kahee? Like, do you have a preference the way that your warehouses accept things better? I mean, should just, you know, because there are going to be people who are going to want to present and if they don't have any UNFI distribution, is that a problem?
2: I would say um, we have no preference, but we are going to look to see what the velocity of the product is theoretically going to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So direct ship from a brand usually requires a higher minimum order quantity. Yeah, um, just for the 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 whole like yeah uh, being as exactly. (laughs) Uh Um, So we will look to see if it's going to be a slower moving item. Like we probably don't want to take it direct um, right. because we want to make sure we're offering the freshest products to our members. And we want, we're hitting those MOQs and being good partners and not asking the brand to do anything out of their norm. Um, yep. So we probably asked in, in some way, shape or form to, Hey, get set up in UNFI. And right. if, if that's going to take a while, then like, let's work and bridge the gap. Like what can you do in terms of uh, getting us direct shipments, but is there a guaranteed sale behind it? Is there like mm-hmm. a regular cadence of promotion that's really going to drive volume on it? Um, right. And then later on down the road, we can look at the, the UNFI piece. So yep. we don't really have a preference. Um, we really want to just make sure we're doing right by our members, keeping yep. products fresh, but also doing right by the, the brand partner and um, doing what they feel comfortable with uh, yep. and, uh, and, and not letting them step, making them step out of their comfort zone. I mean, this is all super helpful.
0: Okay, my last question is I asked you about green flags. Mm-hmm. Know your audience, what's the differentiation, any data story, et cetera. Have you seen decks where you, other than when they put you know, the Whole Foods or Walmart <laughs> <laughs> logo yeah. on the front of the deck, have you seen anything where you've just like put your head in your hands and side?
2: Uh, like- I would say... Usually that comes with pricing. Um, okay. I would say uh, really really honing in on the category that your product sits in and whether it's in the, the good, better, best um, of, of the category itself and uh, knowing where a consumer is going to comfortably net out with on a retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've seen where brands have thought their products were extremely premium and they've just Mm -hmm. priced themselves way out of the market. Yeah. Uh, I've also seen like on the flip side where a brand has thought they were extremely premium. They've priced themselves. I, what I would think out of the market and then their, their product is just so unique that, Mm -hmm. okay, let's, let's put it on, let's put it out to retail And consumers respond the exact way the brand was thinking they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. It just goes gangbusters. Yeah. Um, So I, like I said, I've seen it both ways, but, um, a lot of red flag is just, uh, not knowing where your product nets out on the retail side um, and just pricing yourself out of the market. No, that's, that's
0: a really, um, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of brands that are just, they are holding fast Mm -hmm. to their pricing and, people are responding. I guess it's usually things that are pretty unusual like you said yeah. and you know, etc. But I think knowing I'm I've talked to a lot of people making wanting to get into this business and wanting to charge, you know, that you know, $18 for something that, you know, the average is 10. Yeah. And just me being like, well, "Why?" and they're like, "Cuz it's so good." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Well," <laughs> Yeah. You know, they're all so good, right? Everything yeah. is so good. So um, it is
2: not just about being so good nowadays. Like it's, right, it's being that's table good, stakes. But yeah, yeah, but also like like what what other value are you offering to the consumer? Is it? Yeah. Do you have a story of sustainability? Do you have a story that you're really pushing for social or environmental um, responsibility and stewardship? Like what's what's the story behind that? really driving that, that high retail price. It's not just that it's, it tastes good, but what's the, what are are the, what's the ingredient story? What's the founding story?
0: Yep. Amazing. Jason, I can't thank you enough. This was like a perfectly jam packed, amazing hour. I took copious notes. I'm going to be putting them. Um, I don't know how to do show notes. So someone might teach me at some point, but I do put them in my LinkedIn posts. So, um, for those of you listening you kind of have to listen, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So so thank you for listening. Um, Anyway, Jason, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate all of the wisdom and the time.
2: Thank Um, you very much for having me. This is a, it's always fun to number one, talk Thrive Market, but also talk food.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we can also have that conversation later. Um, (laughs) And Armin, as always, thank you so much for engineering. Um, I obviously could not do this without you. And to listeners, um, as always, I appreciate the input and all of the DMs and the suggestions for guests. And um, I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce.